You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. To another edition of Pacific Post-Ups and our final season preview, Nick, we've saved the most incompetent for last. It's King's time. Jeez, that, that's already starting off. Being harsh about Sacktown. Now, nah, I'm a, as, as much as this, you know, sort of going from four teams who are in the Pacific Division who are very much vying uh, for championship contention to going to one who's trying to make a playoff series, it is a bit of like, I guess, a drop off in what the, in, I guess, the, in what the, the teams are producing. But in saying that, I, I still think that this Kings team has got plenty of, uh, Interesting things to talk about heading into the season. And I, 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 unlike maybe a lot of other casual NBA fans, I'm looking at the Sacramento Kings team with a little bit more optimism than I probably would have uh, in the last few years. Yeah, the, look, this roster is certainly at a point where at least there's a lot more interesting going on than what there was, you know, two or three years ago. Mm. Um, but, you know, before we turn an eye to the future, we'll do what we always do and uh, give a bit of a last season wash up here. So they finished with a 31 and 41 record. They, of course, teased that promise, but ultimately missed out the playoffs for the 15th straight season, tying an all-time record with the Clippers, who missed from ni- from 1977 to 1991. It was another year for the Kings, Nick, where it felt like they were trying to go all in to make the play-in um, and ended up falling just short. Uh, is it Was it a step in the right direction or was it just another kind of disappointing year along a, a stream of disappointing years? Sometimes it feels like for Sacramento, they take two steps forward and about 10 steps backward um, a lot of the time. And there was definitely some steps forward um, for this King side. I mean, they started off really hot um, at one stage, you know, winning seven out of 11 games, um, particularly off the back of De'Aaron Fox's play. Um, in that stretch of games, he averaged just under 29 points a game, eight and a half assists per game and had a, a massive 43-point game as well against the Hornets. And, you know, Fox's year... I mean, it probably went under the radar a lot, actually, how well he played. Um, if if Sacramento were probably a little bit more in the play-in play and playoff pitcher, um, definitely could have been talking about a debut all-star campaign for Fox, who, you know, a- averaged, um, you know, um, a pretty handy sort of, what, like 25 points, seven assists, three and a half rebounds. Obviously, there's still some strides he needs to make, as a particularly as a defender, and question marks will always be on his ability to shoot the long ball, but... Um, I really liked what I saw out of De'Aaron Fox in leading this uh, team last season, Lou. Yeah, so did I. Um, and look, he's certainly started to take a, a couple of steps in the direction towards an all-star. Um, and this is one of the notes he left here, is that it's probably realistic to say that had the Kings won, you know, maybe if they went 41 and 31, yeah. Fox probably would have been an all-star. He averaged 25 points, seven assists, three and a half rebounds a game. Um, obviously, he was still a little streaky from the outside and... Uh, the defensive side of the ball always seems more an issue of effort than uh, athletic ability with him. Fox is probably the point to jump off with. And, you know, I've, I've tried to trade him before on this podcast, but do you think his career progression is still heading towards franchise player? I, I still think so. I, I'm, I'm really excited about what we'll talk about in a little bit, sort of this uh, young triumvirate of, uh, of guards um, could potentially do. Uh, at least I know it's going to be fun, um, whether that's going to, 
progress towards wins. I'm not sure, but I still think of, I guess, the the younger players um, who they've got. Um, Fox is still the leader of this squad for sure. And um, while there's still probably some, we'll talk about some of the trades that potentially could happen and um, certainly were uh, bandied about last year with, you know, the likes of uh, Harrison Barnes and, and Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, the three guys who were, particularly the, the former two are almost perennially on the market over the last sort of 18 months to two, uh, to two years. So um, I still think that Fox is the leader of this side and he's still the the guy that they're building around. Um, but that potentially, I, I won't be surprised if that does change because you're right. He is potentially someone who they, they might look at trading. Uh, if they see, you know, uh, incoming Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton as the future of this team rather than Fox. Yeah, look, I almost feel like, and I know that Sacramento obviously said that a lot of their assets weren't available for Ben Simmons, but I almost feel like this is one of those rosters where no one's untouchable for the right price. Mm. Um, obviously, it's pretty clear that uh, they really do adore their rookie sensation from last year, Tyrese Halliburton, um, who, look, coming into the draft, it was clear that he was going to be a consummate professional. Uh, he was going to be hopefully a good shooter despite a kind of junky form, a really good passer, high IQ guy, but I think he outperformed everyone's expectations as far as yeah. his ability to contribute straight away. And he could actually get that jump shot off, which was a big point of concern. Um, I guess it was an interesting rookie year from the sense that as much as Halliburton impressed in, in almost every way he could, he didn't have the rookie year of a guy that you look at and go, that's our franchise centerpiece for the next 10 years. He seems like almost the perfect complementary player. Mm. Um is, is this, I guess, leading back to the point with Fox, if this is Fox and Halliburton's team moving forward, um, are they the only two you think that are kind of pretty much stapled to the ground in Sacramento? Um, I mean, it's it, it's a bit early to tell. I mean, you and I have both still got a little bit of stock in Marvin Bagley, although I think that's starting to wane a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, Halliburton certainly showed a lot more than I think a lot of people expected and really surprised at how far he slid. Um, he's the type of guy who, I, I mean, I, I was pretty big on him going to the Warriors at one stage, just in terms of, as you said, the perfect complimentary piece. Like I sort of imagine him like fitting in quite well in Golden State um, alongside of Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. So um, he really did sort of slot in well. And I think probably what surprised the a lot of people the most was how quickly he acclimatized to the NBA game. He looked like a guy had been playing for 15 years, just with his level headedness um, with the ball in hand in terms of a playmaker. Um, and, and just the way that he, his IQ was quite apparent, you know, um, finished third in rookie of the year placing uh, behind LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. Uh, he's, he's not the most super athletic guy in the world, um, but at 6'5", he's got good size as a playmaker. He looked good uh, in some pick-and-roll spots with the, you know, the likes of Rashawn Holmes. Uh, had really good shooting splits at 47, 41, and 86. The three-point shot's not the quickest in the world, so that may change a little bit if um, opposition defenses are closing him down a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I, I really, really like um, what Halliburton brings to this team, and he, depending on which way they go, I still think he's a guy that they can fit around. Yeah, absolutely. I put Halliburton in the bucket of a guy that would pretty much work on any roster because yeah. he can be a point guard, he can be a shooting guard. Um, defensively, it was interesting. He was really good kind of jumping the passing lanes. He's got a long wingspan, um, but he obviously could get pushed around by some bigger twos and some wings when he was stuck in some matchups. Um, 
that didn't suit him, but he's a really smart off-ball guy. And look, I don't know how much his frame will fill out in the sense that he's got that kind of frame of a guy that is probably never going to get too bulky, but with another off-season in the weight room and, and continued development, um, you might be able to see him guard a little bit more versatile uh, style players on the wing where possible. You touched on Marvin Bagley. Um, he only played the 43 games. I guess last year was an interesting year because if we got to see all 82, we'd probably be, have a pretty clear idea, well, not all 82 or 72, what, what kind of player Bagley is at this point. But it kind of kicked the can down the line of Sacramento are still holding out some you know, shred of hope that this is the guy that they drafted with the second overall pick. It's his last year to prove it for me, Nick. Are you are you still holding stock in uh, in Marvin Bagley, or are you pretty much ready to sell? I've got a little bit of stock left. It's the body is one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about. Obviously, only played the 43 games last season, and I'm still I'm still trying to work out his best spot if it's a four or a five. He's kind of in between a little bit. I think it's. I'd say he would be better suited to a five, but the problem is like it it doesn't matter when he's been out there. He kind of looks a little bit vacant defensively. He still doesn't make the best decisions in the world. And I'm not sure if that's something that's going to change. I'm not sure if that's due to him not getting some continuity, um, both as a, you know, a member of the starting lineup and just like being actually being able to play consistent basketball and actually, you know, get a grasp on defensive systems, or this is something that he's really going to struggle with his whole career. So, I mean, you see the offensive flashes, you, you see the, the the improved shooting touch. He's about thirty four percent from three uh, last season, and the capability on that side of the floor is there. But his lack of ability on the other end, he gets pushed. You talk about Halliburton get pushed around. Bagley's someone who can really get pushed around. You can really move that guy around on the block. So. I'm, I'm, I'm still. While I, I like the talent level and the, 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 um, some of the what's in his repertoire, I guess, I'm still not sure about his fit, um, at either front court spot and whether that fit is going to be in Sacramento. Yeah, I agree. I, I think he. Look, we've discussed this before. He probably needs a fresh start at this point. Um, it's a little bit difficult to kind of tell how he fits in on a roster where they've just gone and paid with Sean Holmes. And they've just got every single backup center under the sun. Mm. Uh, it, it just feels like it, it's, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a typical tweener in every sense. I think on offense, he works best as a five with spacing around him. Um, he's still a pretty good low post guy, not in a brute force way, but he can face up. He's got a kind of array of spin moves. You can use him as a roll man and pick and roll. Um, but yeah, I think for him to play the five, he needs more reps defensively. And it could, like you said, it could just be who he is. Um, and maybe if he plays the five, you have to put him alongside a player, kind of like the way the Nuggets put Millsap alongside Jokic a few years ago, someone that can cover up for some mistakes on the back line. Um, but with the way the league's progressively moving further and further towards five out, it's actually getting harder to play these kind of weak side fours Yeah. Um, as there are more and more guys that are needing to be pulled out to the corner. So, Look, this is a make or break year for Bagley, but I, I certainly think last year was probably the roughest of his career. And for the first time, you know, we'd started to really hear some strong, strong trade rumours. It was pretty uh, abundant, pretty clear that he was uh, almost traded to Detroit at one point. Yep. Um, so I think the Sacramento Kings are certainly listening to and open to all offers around Marvin Bagley. Yeah, and it, it's looking like the sort of package that Sacramento would get for him isn't looking incredibly sizable as well. Um, it, it just kind of, I don't know, it puts him in a weird spot. I think this is kind of the, 
I don't know, the theme of Sacramento at the moment is sort of where they're at in their development because they've kind of got, you know, a fair few younger guys in terms of uh, Halliburton, Fox, um, Davion Mitchell coming in and then Bagley. And then you've sort of the other end, you've got Buddy Heald and you've got um, Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, all these sort of guys. It's just like, well, I mean, Holmes is one that you, that you, you want to keep, particularly because he wants to be there. But the, the, yeah, the Barnes and the Hill one is going to be interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it it, it puts a lot of sort of uh, questions on where this roster is at, and particularly as it's currently constructed, and as well with the, the guys that they've brought in um, over the summer, Luke. Yeah, look, that's probably a, a great way to talk, into, talk about the ins and outs. Um, another busy year in Sacramento in the offseason. Uh, they bought in Tristan Thompson, Alex Len. Uh, Davion Mitchell and Namias Cater, uh, as well as bringing back Rashawn Holmes, Terrence Davis, and Mo Harkless. So I think we touch on the draft guys first because they're the, the most obvious ends here. Davion Mitchell uh, has looked amazing in everything we've seen from him so far. Certainly looks like the defensive player he was, uh, you know, brought up to be. Uh, I guess the, the, the biggest concern, and we discussed this close to the draft, was You've just gone and drafted a point guard in a side where your two best prospects are a point guard and a combo guard. What sort of role is there for Davion Mitchell as a rookie on this team? Well, yeah, as you said, we were questioning the fit around that, you know, whether the tricky one was with the draft, like a guy like Kaminga or Franz Franz Wagner could have been really, really good um, in terms of a fit-wise maybe with this Kings team. But Mitchell was there. And you look at the guys who went afterwards in terms of like Zaya Williams, James Booknight, Josh Primo. Duarte might have been all right, I reckon, uh, on this Kings side. Might have been a nice three. um, Or a Moses Moody, Kispert, these sort of guys. But, yeah, I think that... In terms of what we're seeing out of him, I think it's been really good. I mean, he he lit up Summer League, looked really fantastic there. I'm like, okay, Summer League, I didn't really have any worries about sort of how he was going to go because he wasn't playing with Halliburton and Fox. So, but in preseason, he's looked pretty good. Um, I mean, I think, uh, like we said um, when we were discussing Summer League when while that was on, I mean, the defense has translated fine. Um, he's an absolute bulldog on that end, and he's already someone who I highly enjoy watching defensive highlights of and there's not too many players in the league that like you can say that yep I want to go watch defensive highlights I mean outside of maybe Draymond Green or um yeah, it's probably it actually he's probably the only person I like watching defensive highlights of um so yeah I think that part of the game he's gonna bring absolutely in spades the shots look really good um in in preseason um it's something that it was probably like okay is this gonna like translate across um he kind of had his shot got better um, out of his one year at, at Baylor, but it was something that still had a bit of a question mark on it. It's It looks okay. He's had some shooting nights, but, you know, he's, that game against Portland where he had 20 points, he was knocking down threes off handoffs, spot-ups, um, he had a couple of step-backs, and it looked, he looked really comfortable. So um, the, the fit, um, you know, Luke Walton's talked about the fact that um, they're pretty okay with sort of rolling out three guard lineups at the moment. That's something we'll have a chat about a little bit more, but um, with what we've got out of Mitchell so far, Lou, it's uh, it's pretty hard to, to not like what's going on. Yeah, look, I can respect that fit, that pick as far as it might have not been the best positional pick, but you could, like you said, you can make a strong case. They went for best player available. Um, they were highly, highly linked to Franz Wagner um, coming into the draft, but I think 
they picked the most talented guy on the board in their opinion. Um, he also gives his team a bit of a bit of dog. Uh, it's a nice way to say it. Mm. Um, something that this team needed a bit of toughness. Uh, so, look, I, I think I can't fault Monty McNair. There seems like a good pick for what they had. Um, and actually, kind of two years in a row now where a guard has slid to them. Obviously, Halliburton last year, and they've kind of made the most of it. Obviously, the early we're only talking about very early returns here on Mitchell, but that certainly seems like a good pick. The interesting part of uh, this offseason, in my opinion, was the additions of Tristan Thompson and Alex Len. Why don't you talk to us about Tristan Thompson, Lou, as a Celtics man? Mm, okay, so I fell for the Tristan Thompson signing last year as a Celtics fan. Um, I was talking to myself about you know, rebounding, toughness, championship quality, you know, um, he can occasionally post up and put one back in. He's one of those centers where he's, I think he's over 30 now. If not, he's very close to it. He's done. Like he, he's not, it's not that he couldn't give you some minutes here or there. He's just, he doesn't have it anymore. Like that athleticism is athleticism and bounce that gave him, you know, the rebounding and the putbacks that he used to be able to do when he was playing alongside LeBron. He just looks like a guy that just isn't designed to be in the league into his mid thirties. Um, and I think there's a reason that, that salary got moved off of um, by the Celtics, but I just didn't like the Kings picking it up. It didn't really make sense at the time. Um, and then to go and compound that by adding, adding Alex Len, who's another traditional center. Uh, yes, Alex Len has, has flashed a bit of ability to, to pop in space, but didn't love either of these two additions. Uh, but look, from an unbiased perspective on Tristan Thompson, what do you think? Yeah, the, the Thompson one, I mean, I, I, I kind of understand it. I mean, Sacramento with 30th and rebounds last year, you, you kind of want someone who can rebound a little bit on this team. But the fact that, you know, it, it is like a, a further sign that they're not as confident in the likes of Marvin Bagley. Uh, you know, Damian Jones might be might crack this roster. We'll see what happens for like one of those last spots. But, um, but you've also got like, Shemezi Metsu there as well, who I'd rather see get minutes. Um, it's the Thompson one was weird. The Len one I kind of understand a little bit more, but the, the Thompson one I felt was really unnecessary, particularly considering that it was a trade involving Delon Wright, who you know, I, you know, I'm a, a massive fan of what he can bring. Um, you know, as a as a backup guard really for either slot and. Well, the, the tricky thing I think with Sacramento is that the guard rotation was getting a little bit crowded, obviously bringing Terrence Davis back, which is awesome um, in terms of what he he can provide with his shooting ability. But yeah, maybe the backcourt was starting to get a little bit more crowded, but it, it I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the roster construction a little bit more and sort of what I think about it. But yeah, it, when, when those are sort of your highlight free agency and trade moves, it's, not a great off season, but in saying that, I think the one that we probably do need to talk about more is them being able to bring back Rashawn Holmes on such a cheap deal. Um, I think that was, you know, that that's the big win for Sacramento. Yeah, and for me, it's not just a big win in the sense that he's a good player. The fact that he he wanted to be there, yeah. um, he's openly come out and talked about how happy he was to resign in Sacramento. I mean, this is a this is a side that has had to grossly overpay to keep players or even get players in the past. And so to have a, a guy that was a, you know, a solid NBA contributor last year, has been over the last couple of years, has a little push shot floater that seems to never miss, um, provides a lot of energy on the defensive side of the ball. And for, to get him was four years, 55 million, I think was the yep. top end of that deal. And I think there are some, uh, if I'm not wrong, there are some incentives and bonuses in there that are more on the unlikely side. Um, 
I think that was a great deal. And it just says a lot about the fact that, you know, this is a guy that's found his role in the league in Sacramento, probably likes playing alongside a dynamic point guard like De'Aaron Fox and is uh, happy to come back and be part of the franchise. So for me, it was just as much about what he offers on the court as what this says about the, the Kings of franchise and players wanting to be there. 100%. If they're able to hang on to anybody, this is not a guy who wouldn't have been without his suitors over the offseason. Like, Holmes has got some real like plug-and-play ability as a center who can fit into a lot of rosters. Um, someone who's, a, a despite Sacramento's incredibly bad defense, he's not the main reason of that. He is actually pretty damn good on that end. Um, you know, he was he, he led the league in defenders who held their opponents to the lowest field goal percentage in, in ISO possessions. So he's not that bad on that end. And as you said, he's got that, uh, that, that floater that just doesn't want to miss. Um, and then it also knows how to throw down lobs in a pick and roll situation. So yeah, he's a, he's a real sort of like low usage, low frills kind of center. He excels at quite a, like a, a select um, like handful of skills, but he's really good at those. So yeah, being able to keep him someone who, yeah, as you said, wanted to be there. Um, someone who said he felt the love during the whole sort of contract um, negotiations is a massive win um, for them. And then, yeah, been able to bring back uh, Terrence Davis who came over from Toronto and, um, I, I really liked um, what I saw out of him as a Raptor and had a couple of nice scoring performances at the back end of the season for Sacramento. Has looked good in preseason and, you know, sort of goes into that, uh, you know, assortment of guards they've got who can offer quite a bit and particularly, I think, uh, could have a bigger role if Buddy Heald gets traded. Yeah, and that's probably, you know, something that this team always comes back to is a lot of this roster doesn't make a ton of sense in the fact that, there are a lot of small and medium-sized guards and a lot of bigs, but this team is a team prime for a trade. Um, and so, you know, you, you obviously just touched on it, the, the re-signing of Terrence Davis um, and, of course, probably worth mentioning Mo Harkless as well, gives them mm. some guard and wing depth, I guess, that this roster drastically needs. Um, and it also gives them a, a couple of different looks as far as you know, they were so reliant over the last couple of years on Harrison Barnes basically being their only small forward and one of their only power forwards. Um, so I kind of like that those fringy moves to finish up the offseason. The Terrence Davis signing took a while to get done, actually. That one kind of surprised me how long it took to bring him back. Um, a bit like Josh Harder, I think some of these 3 and D guys wondered whether the market would be a little bit bigger. Mm. Mo Harkless just seemed like a matter of he was happy to be there and there was probably a role for him in playing time. What do you make of those two moves, I guess, to round out their offseason? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like like, like I said, Davis is going to keep offering uh, – just keep offering floor spacing. I think that um, particularly sort of next to Fox and Halliburton. Halliburton's, like, got a pretty good shooting clip, but not – I'm not sure if that's going to keep continuing. It might be. Um, Mitchell's three-point shot is continuing to sort of – you know, that's something that we're going to be having a keen eye on. Having someone who's – a you know, bit of a sniper in Terrence Davis, and you can really heat up. Um, off the bench, had a couple of yeah, not nice games in preseason, doing exactly that uh, is going to be really important, I think. And then yeah, Mo Harkless as well, as you said, this team is really lacking wing depth. Um, he's someone who's you know been around the traps for quite a while now. Um, not the most reliable uh, of uh, in terms of a three and D player, particularly the three side of things, but someone who's still a 
you know, a solid defender. And as you said, gives them someone who's not a center um, and also not a guard, um, which is something that they don't really have too much on the roster. Um, but yeah, then you look at like sort of the outs that they've, they've taken out. Nothing too crazy. I mean, they waived a couple of recent signings, uh, DJ Stewart and Matt Coleman. Uh, Justin James is no longer there. And then the, the main ones who went out were Hassan Whiteside and DeLon Wright. Um, is there much lost there for Sacramento? I mean, Whiteside, not really. The right one, maybe a little bit. Yeah, look, Hassan Whiteside, I mean, he's a fine backup centre at this point, but I don't really think that it really matters whether you have him or you have Tristan Thompson, Alex Lane. It, it is what it is. That's not going to define um, the Kings, you know, season. I guess the concern for me was the fact that they did trade DeLon Wright effectively to acquire Tristan Thompson, which yeah. didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, but look, I guess it is what it is, but I just didn't like that trade. I mean, DeLon Wright also doesn't fit fantastically into this guard heavy roster, but I prefer to have a DeLon Wright than a Tristan Thompson. So that was someone I was sad to see go. Um, Cause we, me and you both really liked when they picked him up for Corey Joseph mm. uh, last uh, trade deadline. Um, yeah, I think when I look through this list of names here, like you said, you know, DJ Stewart, Matt Coleman, Justin James, not really worth mentioning. But it's more the transactional side of the DeLon Wright part that I dislike. Strictly from a roster perspective, I think they'll be able to feel what both of these two offered. Yeah, I think so. I think Wright's going to look really good in Atlanta, um, backing up Trey. Um, that, that's a it's a pretty good fit for him. And uh, yeah, it, it will be interesting to sort of see how this sort of shakes out rotation-wise, which I think sort of segues nicely into one of our sort of uh, major key storylines um, that we wanted to unpack, starting with how are these three-guard lineups going to go? Um, this is something, you know, as, as I mentioned before, that Luke, when Luke Walton was questioned sort of about the wing depth of, of this roster, um, that, you know, he, he's been pretty comfortable playing sort of a, a mix um, in the preseason of, you know, Fox, Halliburton, Mitchell, Davis, healed a little bit. Um, but particularly um, those and those first four names, I think, are going to, you know, be on the roster for a more extended period of time than Buddy Heald. How do you kind of see this going, Lou? I mean, it's got potential to blow some teams off the court, but they've also got potential to get blown off the court themselves. So if I'm Sacramento, I, I go with this three-guard lineup because I think that as a, as a franchise, look, yes, there are going to be, be some nights in the regular season where you play a team that plays a little bit bigger and in a way that can hurt you. Um, you know, I, I probably an example that I think of and no, not being a homer here, but like if you're playing a Celtic side with Brown at the two and Tatum at the three, are they being guarded by Halliburton and Mitchell? That seems unlikely. That seems like that's a kind of a, a go over them into the rim situation. But at the same time, are they going to kill some other teams that can't contain three speedy dynamic, you know, guards, playmakers uh, in the case of two of them shooters, I guess. So I'd much prefer them to see them lean into their strengths play their three guards and just give it a go and accept that there are going to be some regular season matchups that are going to be a little ugly and it is what it is. Mm. Um, I do think that Barnes, the older he gets, the more he has to be a four, not a three. Not that he can't do uh, minutes at the three. I just think that that's every year of his career, he's slowly stepping more towards being a four. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like the idea of it. Uh, look, if you're, if you're a team that was going for 60 wins, I'd probably steer clear because there are going to be too many nights where you're going to have too many headaches, but for a team like this, you're the Kings. Lean into your three young guards. Have a really fun, dynamic team. You know, the Thunder managed to do it a few years ago, albeit with 
a different set of guards and a different set of bigs. Um, but I like the idea. Uh, I'd like to see them roll the dice on it. How do you think it all kind of winds up? Yeah, I mean, it, it does put a lot of pressure on. I think the the one who I'd uh, uh, if they are rolling out like Mitchell in the starting lineup, it is going to put a lot of pressure on Fox and Halliburton to really up their defensive chops. Um, you know, it's been sort of you know reported them how much the those two players have been uh, hitting the weight room a lot more. Uh, in the off season, almost in a preparation to sort of improve um, their physicality on the defensive end. Um, Halliburton in particular, I think is the one that would be, you know, if Barnes is maybe taking, you know, sort of your three, four position, um, whether Mitchell is going to sort of slide up and guard some of these, like more, these larger wings. Um, that's something I'm really keen to see if that happens. So yeah, I, I do think that it puts a lot of pressure on the six, five Halliburton to, to play above himself maybe a little bit. And as you said before, he's someone who has some reasonably solid defensive acumen, but whether that's, you know, able to be matched with physicality to, to stay in front of these guys, um, that's going to be the interesting one. And, um, and, you know, it also puts a lot of pressure on Rashawn Holmes to really continue off um, and build off his, uh, you know, sort of breakout year, I guess, um, last season. So I think you're right that it should happen um, because, yeah, I, I just I don't think they've got the tools to play slightly bigger and have the same success. Um, I think that they need to sort of you know tap into their their strengths, as you said, and uh, live with the results. And um, even just as a as a neutral fan, I'd I'd like watching the three guard lineup because it's going to be pretty fun. Yeah, I guess my biggest concern is I'm not sure that Luke Walton's the guy to construct a great defense with a three guard lineup. Um, I'd love to see someone like a Nick Nurse come up with something really cool and junky with this kind of lineup. Um, you know, whether and obviously how you're going to play, you know, one, three pick and rolls with this kind of situation would be interesting to see how Luke Walton constructs his defense. I hope it's just not a lot of, uh, you know, Rashawn Holmes, please clean up whatever happens on the back line. Yeah. Um, Look, if yeah, it, we, we kind of touched on it. Halliburton probably has to be the one to guard threes. I weirdly trust Mitchell to guard a lot of twos just because of how intense he is. Um, and even bigger guys don't like someone that gets up into him a little bit. Uh, yeah, can Fox lift the intensity as well as the other question? But you know, this team's been starting Buddy Hield a lot for the last couple of years, who can be a bit of a, a bit of a sieve as well defensively. So maybe this is still better than what they've been going with. Mm. Um, as we kind of touched on a couple of times, this team has been ripe for a trade the last couple of years. Harrison Barnes has been thrown around constantly. Uh, Buddy Heald has pretty much got halfway to the Lakers and then sent back. Um, and as we've discussed, Marvin Bagley's been on the trade block. His family wants him traded. Um, is there going to be a trade there? You know, out of those three guys, who's still on the roster at the end of the year? What do you think? I think Barnes is, has the most... Uh, has has the biggest likelihood of still being there at the end of the year, I think. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to gauge in saying that you know his his salary um, is like not too bad in terms of like a trade asset and getting paid what like twenty odd mil. So that becomes an interesting one. And then you've got Buddy who's getting paid twenty three. It's it's interesting to see what happens with them. And then Bagley's earning 11. So, um, Buddy Hield seems to be the one I think who is the most likely to get traded. Um, you know, I think in every single fantasy trade that you and I have done over like the last 
however many months Buddy Hield seems to be a you know a key uh, a key piece um, in those trades um, to get a variety of players across um, to Sacramento to help balance out their roster a little bit more. I still think the Simmons thing could happen um, just because he's, you know, done an Eric Andre banging on the um, the outside of, Phil- of the Philadelphia training facility. Um, it doesn't mean that he's going to be there. I think the entire season, I still think a trade could very likely happen. And I still think that the Kings are, uh, are in the race. So, um, that's something to probably watch out for just because he's like got some translatable skills where he can sort of fit into a few different places and bring you shooting. Um, he's still one of the best shooters um, in the NBA for sure. I just, yeah, I, yeah the, the fit on this Kings roster, I just, I don't see it as much. Um, but in saying that, who knows? He, he might be the long-term three for this, this team and it, it'll finally settle. But I'd, I'd, I'd say that laughingly because I don't believe it. Yeah, look, I, I agree. And I think, you know, as much as previous management in Sacramento was not was more on the incompetent side, I actually think Monty McNair has made a majority of good moves since he's yeah. joined this front office. So I, I trust that a lot of the reason that these guys haven't been traded yet are just the right offer wasn't quite there. Um, Harrison Barnes is probably the one that, if they were realistic over the last couple of years about where they stood as a contender, they probably would have gotten rid of him and possibly could have acquired a couple of picks from the right team um, or or a good young asset, but. Because they're insistent on continuing to try to make the playoffs, Barnes is the guy you probably keep for the value he's on. Um, I, I do think that if Bagley doesn't take the leap, someone takes a flyer on him um, and or you kind of end up in the same situation that Larry Markin ended up in Chicago last year where you just kind of finish the year on the outer and then wait for a team to throw some money at you that Sacramento probably don't want to offer. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, I think that if he doesn't come out hot in the first 30 games, look for Marvin Bagley to go. And yeah, I mean, at this point, it just seems like Heald is Heald is a half-decent offer away from no longer being in Sacramento. So I definitely think I kind of lean with you that Barnes is probably the most likely to be there at the end of the year because Heald and Bagley just seem like they're up for sale uh, to the highest bidder. Yep. Um, and, you know, we've talked about he fits well in a lot of spots, but perhaps isn't the right one. So De'Aaron Fox... We've touched on it a couple of times already, but he's kind of the cornerstone of this franchise. Um, to me, the gap for a leap is obvious. The That is just, he becomes a, a ridiculous pull-up shooter, which to his career, he's not been. Um, at the moment, he's still a guy that he's become a more willing shooter, but not necessarily a more effective shooter. Do you think there's a leap for Fox this year, or do you think we're kind of starting to see what the ceiling is there? I think as much as the shooting is one that I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, that three point percentage get up to, oh, if it got up to like 37%, you'd be laughing. Um, if, if you're a Kings fan, now I'm helping open up the floor a little bit more. Um, and that free throw percentage as well at seven, it's 72. That's something that could really sort of jump up a bit, but I think it's the defense that it's the one where I can expect him to get a little bit better. If he's not like a, a knockdown three point shooter, and they've got the right guys around him, you can kind of live with it. If he's putting in 25-odd a game, giving you eight assists, and being, you know, the lead playmaker, if he's able to become a, a pretty damn solid defender and, you know, make this three-guard lineup work by really sort of hounding guards and making life miserable um, for opposition perimeter players alongside Mitchell and alongside Halliburton, then I think that that leap starts to come. And I generally think that he's, 
uh, he, he's he's well, uh, you know, well up for an all-star gig um, for this season. But again, it's going to come down to how many games Sacramento wins and putting him in that position. You know, that's kind of just, we know that's how these awards work. And um, yeah, but I, I still think that there's some uh, strings to his bow that he can add. Um, and he, yeah, he, he can still grow as a player. I, I still don't think that we've seen the, the, the total ceiling of De'Aaron Fox yet. No, look, I completely agree. I, I think for me, the defense is just a matter of effort for him. Um, yeah. And you touched on him being a 25-point-a-game guy. I think he's also had the freedom to take some possessions off defensively because he's had to be the guy offensively on this team. Um, and so I think he's kind of gotten away with not playing a ton of defense at times. Um, that's obviously going to have to change if they really want to contend. But I do actually believe in him as a defender. I just think it's a matter of effort. Um but we do see this with guys that are good defenders in college and then don't show it when they get to the league because they start to put themselves in that bucket of guys that don't have to play defense. The only point of concern for me with Darren Fox is, is if he doesn't start to show signs defensively this year, I'm going to start to wonder whether he's only going to do it if he's pressed into a contender. Mm. Um, he seems very content to be the franchise guy um, on what's been otherwise a mediocre team, but you know, He's also a guy that, I mean, if he was in the East last year, he might have been an all-star. I mean, the East is obviously getting stronger, but, like, maybe it's just a matter of circumstance as well. So it'll be interesting because if he takes a step back and Halliburton takes a step forward or Mitchell looks really good, that could drastically change the way this franchise kind of does yep. business moving forward. But same as the reverse. If Fox jumps into being an all-star this year, then that completely kind of switches around the way they look at building this roster. So it's a real pivot year for him, just like it is for Bagley in a different sense. Um, two questions here, I guess, that are probably tied together. So they gave up 116.5 points per 100 possessions last year, which is the second worst single season number in NBA history. I criticized Luke Walton as a defensive coach last year, as I just before. This is a two pronged question. Do you think the def- defense can improve? And do you think Luke Walton's going to last as a coach of the Sacramento Kings? Hmm. I think well, I think your defense is going to improve because Davion Mitchell's there. I mean, you, right off the top, Lou, when you mentioned it, he's bringing a little bit of dog to Sacramento, which is something that not only his ability um, on the defensive end, but his mentality um, in taking pride um, in that side of the game, I think should hopefully, you know, rattle some cages a little bit in Sacramento and hopefully get some more defensive effort out of De'Aaron Fox, see some defensive improvement out of Tyrese Halliburton. It does, if they are rolling with the three-guard lineup, right from day dot. It is putting an incredible amount of pressure on those three players to really contain things on the perimeter. Um, A lot of pressure on Harrison Barnes to try to make life easier rather than, you know, you just, as you just said, being sieves to try to, you know, get players to Rashawn Holmes because as good as Holmes is as a defender, you can't make him the the, the sole, like, presence of defense in your starting five. Um, So... That's going to be, I think, the tricky part. In terms of the Luke Walton one, if they don't make the playoffs, he's gone. Um, that's, I think, that's the, the simple way to look at it. As you said, Monty McNair sort of come into that front office. I'm starting to get a bit of, I don't know, probably an idea that they like where, where this is building. And I think they like the roster construction. They're starting to get with these younger guys. But I do think that Luke Walton's days are probably numbered um, for the Kings, um, which is a bit of a shame. I know because you know he was a, such a did such a good job coaching um, that stint in Golden State uh, when Steve Kerr wasn't uh, wasn't there. But 
I, I just don't see how they keep him if they go another season without making the playoffs, which would, as you said before, Lou, would be a, an NBA record um, in terms of an absence from the postseason. Yeah, and look, there were already starting to be some whispers coming out last year that perhaps uh, yeah. Luke Walton was on the nose and it might have almost been a contract thing of the Sacramento Kings ownership not wanting to pay a fired coach and a current coach. Uh, might have even come down to money. That might have kept Luke Walton in his job. Um, I even think that if they start really poorly, he'd be a mid-season fire candidate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he doesn't. I hope they don't for both cases. Um probably Luke Walton's last run for a little while on the main job as well if he loses this one because obviously it didn't pan out in LA if it doesn't pan out in Sacramento I don't know there's I don't know if there'll be other teams lining up to give him another job straight away might have to go do something different be an assistant or take a different slant for a bit before trying a trying somewhere else but you know it's such a pivotal year we talked about it it's a it's a pivotal year for Fox for Walton for Bagley um you know for the franchise and the direction they're going in uh, it's kind of their, in my opinion, it's kind of like their last chance of going with this young run and gun Luke Walton led team in a bunch of ways before someone's going to get impatient, um, probably ownership, if not the front office. So I think that's a great place to take a break. Uh, we'll come back with Diamond in the Rough, our predicted starting fives and our predicted records. Pacific Post-Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. So we're back with our Diamond in the Rough segment for the Sacramento Kings. I'll, uh, I'll let you fire away here, Nick. Who have you got? So my diamond in the rough is, I'm not sure if, if this is going to be how you pronounce it, Lou, or it might be another way, but it's Louis King. And I might need to tell some people about Louis King because I can't imagine that too many people are going to know about Louis King. Um, Get on the soapbox, so, mate. Go for it. <laughs> so uh, Louis King is someone who I didn't really know too much about until I started watching uh, Sacramento in the summer league and he was pretty damn good <laughs> in summer league. Um, there was a, quite a few faces out there who I didn't really recognize. And I was like, all right, and sort of see what happens. Um, this is a guy who's, you know, who's undrafted, uh, he's had a bit of a bounce around and for the Pistons, he's played for the Grand Rapids drive. He's played for Westchester Knicks in the, in the G league. And then, obviously played a bit of time in the Stockton Kings last season uh, while as a member of the Sacramento Kings roster and had a 27 point game at the end of last season. And I was like, all right, this is the junk time when like uh, a lot of the main Kings uh, stars were out. And I'm like, okay, we'll see the three point shot looked good. And he looked good in summer league. Um, you know, he's a guy six, seven, um, which immediately sticks out on a roster of guys who are either six, five and below or six, 10 and above. Um, and yeah, he shoots the ball at a, at a good clip. He had 21 points and five steals and steals in the summer league championship game. Dropped, yeah, as I said, dropped that uh, game of 27 points at the end of last season. And I think that particularly if Buddy Hill gets traded, and then they're not really happy with what they're getting out of Mo Harkless, I genuinely think this is a guy who could have a crack at the rotation. Um, he's looked okay um, in preseason, hasn't played a lot, um, but. The mechanics are there for a good three-point shot. He's got some defensive acumen, and I generally think he's someone who we're talking diamond in the rough. This is like 
buried real in the rough, but he could shine pretty bright. Uh, firstly, I subscribe to the theory that you can pronounce my slash Louis King's name either way. Um, <laughs> secondly, move aside LeBron, there's a new king in the West. Thirdly, I love this pick. Um, he's a guy that on any other roster I think would be buried, but as we're going to touch on time and time and time and time again, the Kings need wing depth. And he has looked good in the glimpses he's got. I'm nervous for your pick in the sense that I don't know how much daylight he's going to see. Yeah. But if he does, I have a tremendous amount of belief in this young man. I actually thought he wasn't too bad in Detroit when he floated around there as well. Just, yeah, hasn't really been given a ton of an opportunity at the highest level in the NBA. But on paper, he's a guy that could step in and contribute to this Sacramento Kings roster who's desperately needing blokes that have his skill set and his athletic size. Yep. But, and particularly with skill set and shooting, uh, closer relates to your pick for Diamond and the Ruffalo in Sacramento. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this guy was, you know, uh, on one of the all-rookie teams, I believe, in uh, Toronto, his rookie season, considered to be a bit of a, a steal. Uh, went off the rails a little bit in his second year. Um, believe he might have had some off-the-court issues that made Toronto want to move on from him. We won't touch on that too much, but I thought he was a good pickup uh, at the deadline last year for Sacramento. A couple of teams, I think, could have picked him up for based on that price and, and appreciated his value, but no one's going to appreciate his value more than the Kings because while he's not the tallest wing, he's pretty stoutly built. He's quite athletic, um, really good defensively. So... I think Terrence Davis is my diamond in the rough. Mm. Um, looked really good in preseason as well. Um, and just like you're thinking with Louis King, I think there is a gap for him on this roster to come in and play some minutes. Yeah, Eric is a really good shout. And I think particularly, again, sort of going back off, if healed is moved. I think Davis is going to get minutes regardless, but I think that role particularly grows um, if healed is not on the roster. Um, as you said, you know, potentially someone who could... It's probably at a, at a pinch, like you really push for starting minutes, at, at, you know, on some nights potentially if, if guys aren't available as well. Um, but I, I, I think he's the guy who potentially becomes a real key six man on this team. Um, someone who can really come in and be that microwave scorer, give a lot of points in a hurry with it. You know, he's got a really good looking shot. Um, as you said, he's someone who's um, not just a, a three point shooter. He's got some defensive ability. Um, and I think that, you know, sort of in a crowded sort of spot in Toronto where they were sort of transitioning kind of out of, you know, after winning a championship and then sort of going through like after Kawhi was sort of in a different sort of spot um, for the Raptors. I think it's a, you know, a really good spot for him to land in Sacramento and to stay in Sacramento. And uh, yeah, I, I really think he's going to, he's going to pop um, in a Kings uniform this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he might have been victim in Toronto of the old second round pick that's about to approach restricted free agency and perhaps you don't want to pay another guy. Mm. Um, the Kings got him on two years, eight million though, which is pretty cheap considering there was conversations about him getting, you know, around eight million a year potentially at one point, depending on who the right suitor was. So certainly someone to keep an eye on and hopefully both of these guys get some good opportunity and Luke Walton leans into some extra size there at the two and the three. So Probably a great way to predict our starting five here. Now, I said off uh, off mic before that this team is incredibly difficult to predict. A lot of these other teams we've done, they've kind of leaked their starting lineup or their proposed starting lineup, or you can pretty much figure it out. This Kings roster is a real mystery. So why don't you hit us with yours, Matt? Yeah, I'm sort of going off what 
uh, Luke Walton said in the preseason about going with a three-guard lineup. And um, what we talked about was before, I'm going with Fox and Mitchell in the backcourt and Halliburton sort of starting at the three um, with the front court of Barnes and Holmes. So certainly does put a lot of pressure on those uh, front court guys to, to defend it at a pretty high clip. But I think this is a, I reckon this is the lineup that we might see on starting night. Look, I certainly think, I hope this is the lineup we see on starting night. Um, you know, it's the kind of it's the kind of playing your best five concept, I guess, is what they're going with. I mean, look, strictly speaking, Buddy Heald might be better than a rookie Davion Mitchell just because of how rookies tend to reflect, particularly in the analytics. But I really like this idea. It's leaning into your strengths. That'd be a super fun team. We touched on it before with the three guards. Um, there'll be a lot for Rashawn Holmes to do, and it's going to mean that pretty much any decent wing is going to be a, a Harrison Barnes gig. Um, but, you know, as, as we've seen throughout his career, Harrison Barnes can hold up in those kind of lineups, even mm. if he's not a wing stopper per se. So I really would like to see Luke Walton to lean into this kind of lineup. Yeah. Uh, and then you've sort of gone a, a little bit the other way, Luke, and tried to get some size in there, particularly at that three spot. So before I name my five uh, lineup, Luke Walton trotted out a double big lineup that involved Holmes and Tristan Thompson in the preseason. Saw that. Um, I would like just Luke Walton. I'll, I'll I'll give you a small piece of advice to hopefully help save your job. Go look at the footage from the double big lineups involving Tristan Thompson last year in Boston. Do not do this to yourself or your fan base. <laughs> anyway, I digress. It's torture. I have De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Mo Harkless, mm. Barnes, and Rashawn Holmes. Just kind of going with a steady veteran hand at the three there. Much more traditional three than than Tyrese Halliburton. I, I I think it's a good shout. You know, as we said uh, time and time again, this is a rough a, a roster bereft of depth on the wing. And Harkless is a guy who you sort of know what you're getting um, out of him. Uh, unlike you might not know what you're going to get out of Tyrese Halliburton starting at the three. Um, so I, I think that's it's definitely a good shout. He's a steady presence in there. As I said, he's not – for someone who's a three and D guy, he's probably not the most trusty marksman of all time, but um, he's someone who you know could potentially be a little bit of a glue guy um, for the rest of uh, that starting five. So definitely think it's a good shout that could happen. Yeah, I think that's probably more the traditional – uh, approach I've gone for there, but I, I do suspect we might end up seeing uh, you be the winner here, mate. So why don't you fire off with your season record prediction? Yeah, I, I, I think that them sort of, you know, cracking over to, to 42 and 40 is sort of what I'm thinking for Sacramento, which I think would probably put them outside. Maybe we'd get them in the play-in tournament. It's, it's a bit hard to gauge at the moment. Um, like, that look, get you, that'd get you 9 or 10 at least, you'd have to think. Yeah, so I still think that's very much um, on the cards. Just because I think that the same reason that I've kind of like sort of praised, uh, you know, Utah and Phoenix, there's a couple of things in this Kings roster that go against it. But there is a, a, a degree of continuity that they've got here, particularly in the backcourt, in, in some pieces that you kind of know what you're going to get out of. So there could be some chaos in the West where some things really go wrong for a team like Portland. Um, Denver might really struggle um, in, in the early running without Murray. Um, you know, Golden State might fall back without Clay coming in there quickly. Clippers, as we talked about, could slide down. There could honestly be a spot for a 
you know, if they get started on the right foot, if, if certain things go right, if the three-guard lineup ends up torching teams and um, less than torching themselves, I genuinely think they could slide up um, potentially for a lower seed in the playoffs. But I think more likely um, the playing tournament is certainly within their grasp. Yeah, and I think this team will just be striving to be a part of the playing tournament. You know, given how much this team has suffered without a playoff run, I almost reckon a play-in tournament berth almost keeps Luke Walton in a job. And hundred percent, yep. Might like he's one of those coaches where, in a weird sense, you know, probably the same as you know what we're seeing in in Minnesota and places like this is we're just getting to the play-in tournament probably keeps everyone in their seats. Um, where in other where in other teams that might be a signal to rebuild or blow up or do something different. So, look, I think forty-two and forty gets them to the play-in um, when you consider. There's going to be a couple of teams at the bottom of the West, you know, Houston, OKC, that are really not going to be trying this year. Um, so I think that probably gets them there, but you never know with the West, particularly mm. if everyone pops and looks good. So I've gone with a record that I think maybe squeaks them into the 10, depending on how things break. So I've gone with 40 and 42. I've gone the reverse of yours. Mm-hmm. I just don't think this is a 500 basketball team. So if I had to lean one way or the other, I went just under 500. Yeah, that's um, fair, yeah. It's so hard with this this team. I feel like I could easily talk myself into 45 wins or something like that, but yeah. a, lot, a lot of that is betting on hope, I think, at this point. Yeah, there's there's still, like, there, as, you know, sort of evidenced by how much time we sort of spent on that sort of, like, key storylines slash major question marks for this team, there's quite a few of them. There's still a few things that we need to work out with this team. You know, there's guys who are going to get traded who could radically change. Like, you know, if, if Barnes and Hield are both traded, you know, and they're getting some picks in there that we could see this team completely slide and crash and look towards, you know, another year rebuilding through the draft with the new coach. We're just not sure what's going to go on with this Sacramento team because they're sort of in that, in that middle range where you kind of don't want to be, where you're not contending for a championship yet, but you're not really, you know, a seller dweller. So um, it's not the nicest place to be in um, for really any sporting franchise, um, but we'll, we'll sort of see um, if Sacramento are able to sort of, get some of these things going, get a bit of synergy going with these, with these guys. And who who knows, maybe they get finally get back in the playoffs. So I I certainly would like to see them back in there. I agree. Um, And we'll, uh, we'll leave it there for this week, Nick. That's the end of our season previews listeners. So we did it next week. All the things we've been holding on to for the last couple of weeks uh, are probably going to get splurged all over this podcast. Um, But in the short term, we, uh, we ask you to, Sit tight and get ready for what should be a fantastic basketball season. I know you're certainly looking forward to breaking down Warriors-Lakers this time next week, Nick. Yep, opening night next week. Um, very keen to get stuck into that. Uh, the season proper is finally upon us. We've done a, I reckon we've done a pretty good job getting through the off-season and in some ways a bit of a quieter off-season, um, unless you're a, a Brooklyn Nets fan. Um, but... Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see uh, that opening night, uh, both on the Eastern Conference side of things, but obviously the Lakers-Dubs game should be a cracker, and uh, I look forward to breaking it down with you next week, mate. Wonderful. Speak to you then, guys.